I mean, when I started Parklands, mm -hmm. the job was advertised and they didn't want me. The local authority just graded the school inadequate. So the company came, dug out everything, got it all set up. Someone came that night and they pinched all the wood. We're joined today by Chris Dyson, head teacher, serial fundraiser, from inadequate to outstanding. You talk about uh, your home life when you were growing up and that there was a lot of love. What did that love look like for you? Well, when you don't have material goods, you don't miss them. That's the, that's the thing when you're sort of coming through life. But, you know, going on holiday, you know, was just a Cleethorpes for, for a day and having day trips out and things. But it was the attention just being away from the home environment and being in somewhere new just with a family. You know, it was simple things like all of us sitting around a, a meal table and having a, a, a great meal uh, every day because, as I said, my grandparents uh, did a lot with our sort of upbringing. He was a, a, a butcher near the Hillsborough football ground, but myself and my son are Sheffield United season ticket holders now, but we'll forgive him for that. <laughs> um, and, you know, kindness is what we sort of got brought up, uh, got brought up with. And um, I remember my, my, my grandpa's funeral because I found out something there that I never knew before, and that was when he became an apprentice in a butcher shop, worked worked throughout for lovely Mr Webb throughout his career, but then when Mr Webb actually died, he didn't leave his children his butcher shop, he left it to my grandpa to say thank you for all the all the work he'd done in his life and things. And although this, this was a multi, you know, multi-million pound a year sort of business, it, it enabled him, us to have a, a nice bit of meat, vegetables on the table mm -hmm. every night and it was just those small little things amazing what an incredible story when you think back to your time at school so you had love at home and you left that loving environment and then you came into the school environment was that a loving environment is that what has inspired you to create what you have at parklands and at future places or is it the opposite was was school tough uh, a bit of a mixture of both. I know uh, your listeners will find this a bit of a surprise, but I was the loud one in school. <laughs> Not the fighter, you know, but I was always the one who wanted the last word. Some teachers absolutely adored it. Mrs George, oh, you know, she will forever be etched in my mind. But then I remember good old Mr Bentley, the really hard deputy head, once giving me a right smack around my head because I dared to ask for my football that had gone over the fence and things. So, as in life, and as on Twitter and other things, some people adore the things I say, and some people say, showing off, too loud, too, uh, all about me, me, me. But when I talk about all me, 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 it's all to get it for the school children, mm. that I mean, so not me sort of personally and things. So, so yeah, school was, school was so brilliant that I never, ever wanted, wanted to leave. And funny enough, I never did leave because when I'd finished my A-levels, went to uni, did my PGCE, I was straight into the education uh, setting because, as I said at the, the start, it's the greatest job in the world and nobody ever comes into this job to become a multimillionaire. We come into this job to make children's lives better. You know, and since, the, uh, since lockdown and COVID and things, we've now become the fifth sort of emergency service where we're dealing with mental health issues, getting food on the table and things that aren't normally associated with, with teachers, but the reward is still absolutely huge mm. events. Fantastic. Just taking you back to your, your early school days for a moment, 
Mrs. George, did you mention? Oh, Mrs. George, I love that lady. What did you love about Mrs. George? What did she do for you? She was just so kind and compassionate, you know. Um, she was one of the few teachers there when, as we're talking maths, um, we used to borrow one and then pay it back. And then sometimes it'd be like borrow one off the milkman and pay it back and things. Exchanging, as we call it now. <laughs> and I just couldn't get that sort of into my head and... I had teachers in the past that shriek at me and shout at me and, you know, slam the desk why I couldn't grasp it. But it just showed, and I really picked up on this life with kindness, actually sitting down with someone and explaining things properly. You could actually achieve things, you know. And uh, it was during the time when, as I said, I was... I would only have been J3... Uh, no, I would have been J1 then, which is year th sort of three now. So I was getting a bit older... It started to become aware that I was the only child in my class uh, that didn't have a dad at home. Um, not like nowadays when you've got probably 50% of your class with uh, parents that have sort of split up. And she had that compassion that when I had to stand up in the middle of a lesson and walk out to the front because I had to go to the warehouse to go and collect my free school clothes. Um, and I got my very first pair of Levi's once from the warehouse, which was actually quite amazing. They did tell me I'd grow into them, and I think I probably did grow into them when I was about 23 years old because <laughs> they were quite well, rather large and things. But you sort of get that stigma where, well, you, how's you going to have clothes and things? Uh, but she helped explain to the class and sort of appeased me and things. And then when I was being loud, showy, offy, and attention-seeking, she would say, she didn't judge me on that and things. So she liked my little spark in the class. Mm. I definitely feel that when I became a primary school teacher, it was apparent that I had lots of training to do with subject knowledge and pedagogy and things like this. But my number one role was to create an environment where these 30 lovely little people could become lovely little humans in my care. And it really sounds like Mrs. George did that for you, not just from a, a maths point of view or an English point of view, but from a, a development point of view and self-esteem and you know, letting you know it's okay to be you. As I said, she was the person why I fell in love with education, mm -hmm. you know. I can really see how um, you kind of take your attitude as a parent. Like you want these things for your children and it's almost like your class has become 30 of your own children and you want the same for them. Is that why you became a teacher? What was your... Because I doubt that many people go into teaching thinking, I'm going to become a deputy head, I'm going to become a head, I'm going to go to a a multi-academy trust and have impact over all these people. What what was your inspiration to become a teacher? <clears throat> well, I, I was quite late when I went to being a head teacher because I wanted to be the best at everything that I'd done. So when I was a teacher, I wanted to be the best teacher. When I was the maths leader, I wanted to be the best maths leader. When I became head of key stage two and then a deputy, I wanted to know every single thing about what made a brilliant sort of leader. So I was 43, 44 when I became a head now, I've got some great friends who were in their early 30s that are head teachers, you know, and that's fair enough for those. It wasn't the avenue I wanted to go down because, as I said, I wanted to learn how to deal with parents. I wanted to learn about budgetary things. I wanted to learn about how to build teams and things. So I was, as I said, quite late going in there. But when I was a teacher, it was about getting the best out of these 30 children. When it was becoming a key stage leader, it was how to get the best out of these 200 children. Being a deputy... And, and then consequently being a head teacher, how to get the best out of these 380 children. And that's why I'm sort of blessed now that I've joined the Create Partnership in Birmingham, which has got 3,800 children to, make, mm. to, to influence and get them to be the very best that they can be and think so. 
So your classroom was a fun place. Um, I imagine it wasn't so serious, but there was a lot of love going on. Is that what we'd experienced being oh, one of those children? Trying to get fun. So when it was the start of the maths lesson, it would, and there's a guitar outside, but there you mm-hmm. go. Uh, but instead of be saying, it's the maths lesson now, we, will, we can work it out from the Beatles were played. And then uh, in writing, paperback writer was played. And then for guided reading, the charlatans telling stories were played. So again, bringing music into a classroom and things and then having fun things like uh, when the Britain's Got Talent started and the X Factor you know and Pop Idol and all those things it was about incorporating those things that kids loved watching to bring them into a, a sort of classroom environment for them to to love wearing whoever won our times tables uh, championship that week got to wear an England shirt for the following week and things so just little tiny things what I'm really interested with you, it sounds like you were a fantastic teacher, you know, awarded Teacher of the Year 2004. And then you go on to a leadership position and lots of people might think, oh, what Chris can do here is almost replicate what he was doing in the classroom and get all of these teachers to be like that, to create a fantastic teaching environment. Was that your aim? Were you trying to get everybody to bring music into their lessons and X Factor and uh, Time Step of Rock Stars? Was that what you tried to do, replicate your practice? Or or what was your approach when you were leading teachers? Every single teacher and every single leader and every single school has a niche, Okay, I saw a huge gap in the market when I started at Parklands that there wasn't really many inspiring math schools, shall we say. And I thought, I can really go into down an avenue there because maths has been the thing that... uh, I've driven since I was 23 years old in my first sort of teaching career. And I know that there's out, outstandingly brilliant schools such as Simon Smith's uh, over in uh, Whitby Academy, where reading, reading, reading picture books, it's absolutely inspiring to see the work that they're doing. And before he came my CEO, I always recommended everyone go and see Mark Unwin, Mr Unwin, um, up in Cheshire to see what he'd done with his curriculum and how he brought this broad and balanced curriculum into a successful school before broad and balanced was expected and things. So each school, there's a lovely school in Leeds, just up the road from where we are now, in Gomersol. What they can do in art just makes you go, wow. So that, I was wanted, as a leader now, I want schools and the, the four schools that are sort of in my trust to showcase their niche. Because one thing I said to all the four heads when I started was, listen, two weeks ago I was sat in your chair, so don't think I'm going to be coming in and trying to create four brand new parklands, mm. but I'm here to encourage what your niche is, what your, what your community is all about. And I'm going to give you, and I pinched this off Mr Unwin, okay, and I've got to give him credit for that, I'm going to give you lots of balloons. Okay, and it's up to you whether you pop those balloons or you shape and mould it and turn it into anything you like. But I'm going to give you lots of opportunities, but I won't be here dictating to you. You know, I won't be here shrieking at your results and things because I know that you know your results could be better in some areas. But what I'm going to do is give you lots of ideas, lots of suggestions, using White Rose Maths for a start. And I'm the great Tony Staniff himself down visiting last week to link it up again with uh, Bruno Reddy. Uh, hashtag Baz Winter from Times Table Rockstars, you know, linking in with things like language angels, you know, to get the modern foreign languages. And it's about giving them these opportunities. And that's what I've done for sort of leadership now. And as I said, in teaching wise, 
you know, gone are the days when, when I started Parklands, I was given a list of these teachers are on your hit list, you've got to get rid of these. But I thought, we're all on this adventure together, you know, and it's very, 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 very unusual in a school to have the, your best teacher being the best maths teacher, best writing teacher, best reading teacher, best art teacher. Mm. So each and every member of staff in your school has something that they're excelling, whether that's ICT, PE, arts, dance, playing the musical instruments things, as well as your traditional great maths lessons from teachers, great reading lessons from teachers and great writing lessons. So it's about finding your niche and really selling it. Because just before we move on, because obviously talking is a bit of an issue for me, how I can't stop <laughs> and things, but I, when I started teaching, had this times tables idea and early bird maths. And I sort of ran with that in my class, got the, got these year three children blitzing out the times tables. And then when I became maths leader, it was about rolling that out across everyone mm -hmm. and things. So, so it was a natural progression when I started Parklands that maths times tables were going to be our sort of niche. And when you've got visitors coming into your school and yourself, you've seen it, and you've got little four and five-year-olds knocking out these nine times table and 12 times table, mm. quicker than I'm clicking my, my fingers now. You know, it, it brings awe and wonder, not only to the children, but to the visitors seeing what they can achieve if you've got a bit of love and a bit of belief. What has challenged you in school? Is it parents again and not wanting to send their children here and there? Or I mean, when I started Parklands, mm -hmm. uh, the job was advertised and they didn't want me. And I say that in a nice way, <laughs> in a sense that they offered a 25% salary enhancement to get an established head teacher because the local authority had just graded the school inadequate. Behaviour, you know, there were 150 exclusions that first year. They had a padded cell for the naughtiest kids, uh, an exclusion room where everybody wants to be in this in this exclusion room. But the 17, 18 naughtiest kids in the school were one teaching assistant, you know, and like usual suspects, they were all putting this room together mm -hmm. until two o'clock when one were carted out and things. There were kids up on the roof playing TIG. So they really wanted someone to come in who'd had experience of this. But fortunately enough for me, there was only two other people that applied. Um, and it was a gamble by the school because I had very limited sort of early years experience. But then again, I used that to my advantage by bringing in an outstanding early years assistant head teacher. Um, but it was that was a challenge in a sense that people were saying, you can't go for that as your first headship. You can't have that as your first headship. Mm. You need somewhere smaller get, so you get to know the routines. But I thought, set me challenges all my entire life so I've got nothing to lose by going into here because if it all goes pear-shaped I'll just go back with the money in the bank I've got and just go back to being a, a deputy in a in a school who, who teaches year 6.5 of the, the time and things so so challenges are one thing that really drives me on and spurs <laughs> me on and things so so uh, in researching the 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 podcast and the conversation with you, um, I came across a, a quote by Aristotle. Okay, Aristotle says, we are what we do repeatedly. Excellence is not an act, it is habit. And when I saw you around Parklands, it, some people might think Chris is putting on an act. And after spending a bit of time with you, it's clear that that's not an act. That's just you and your personality. I imagine you go to a school like Parklands in the position it was in, and you are you, not all of the staff want to come with you on that journey. Have you got any advice for people, new leaders, for example, 
trying to get staff to come with them on the journey? How, how did you do it? Again, you know, we say that uh, the staff may not have wanted to come uh, on on the on the journey with us, and I described the journey which we were going to go on in that very first week. It's going to be a roller coaster. We're going to be ups and downs, but we're all going to be on there together. All going to be fastening together. So if you want this journey, you know it's going to be the best journey you've ever been on. You know, and in nine years, I only had four staff that that left and moved on to pastures new. Although that hit list of staff that I got, mm-hmm. everyone stayed. You know, because I was lucky enough. I'd come from being literally a classroom teacher teaching year six for 0.5 of the time and being deputy for 0.5 which meant I could go into the into the rooms and actually work with staff on lesson plans on delivery you know I'd teach the first 10 minutes of lesson they'd take over for the next 15 minutes then I'd come back to it and then we'd I built this coaching model and and everyone came on board with it we fast forward nine years now and I can't do that anymore because I've got teachers that are better than me when you've been out of the classroom uh, for a while you, you've got a succession plan where you're developing these great leaders and these great teachers, and they are the ones there, therefore now that do the the coaching. And again, it's not just one person doing it for everything. You've got someone who's leading on the maths. You've got someone leading on the writing, on the curriculum, on the reading, and things. So it's a huge team effort. But it does have rocky starts. But the first thing I had to do was uh, in 2013-14. There'd been five different head teachers in the school that year which meant five different behaviour policies, five different appraisal techniques, mm-hmm. different personalities. The staff didn't know whether they were coming or go, uh, going. Behaviour was the most important thing, even though maths, reading, writing, the curriculum were all rock bottom and on the old raisin line, they were bluer than bluey. <laughs> My little five-year-old daughter's favourite thing on the telly at the moment. We're bluey fans. Uh, <clears throat> and... So what was the best way to sort behaviour out? Was it me just giving them another behaviour policy? Or was it about taking a full day uh, training so the staff could write the behaviour policy, the staff could determine what low-level disruption was, what more senior, uh, serious sort of disciplinary issues, and what did they want from other senior leaders to support? So, for example, if someone's tapping a pencil, you don't want myself to go into that room and remove them straight away. You want them to have a bit of time out to think. Um, and then that actually moves up to, if, if you've got some more consistent, lower level or more serious behaviours, then a senior leader will go in and support the teacher and then leaving myself, that if then nothing had seemed to work, then, then I'd go in. So it was about having these clear systematic sort of approaches. Then when we'd uh, written sort of this new policy, the parents were involved to get their sort of say on it. And most importantly, it was about having the children, adding their perspective, because how do we want to reward children if they've been good? Do they want, uh, you know, I must have been, I think I was 44 when I was there, do they want a 44-year-old man saying, this is what your reward's going to be? Or do we want children saying, these are what we think our reward should be? So again, it was listening to the children's voice from the very start and things, listening to your staff voice as opposed to just going and saying, right, there we go, that's what we're all doing, everyone crack on. I, I've spoken to, to lots of teachers who have um, children who don't exhibit the correct behaviours, the correct learning behaviours in class. And sometimes these children are absolutely out of line and violent or really inappropriate. And sometimes the teachers will say, I don't feel support from my leadership team. They just won't exclude this child. What are your expectations then of your teachers? Because it sounds like you're 
visible and that you support them with behaviour. But at the same time, you're not saying if you've got these children exhibiting these behaviours, then we'll just get rid of them. Is it that you've got that, that structure in place? Is that the key? And that the teachers have bought into that? Is that your advice for other schools who have um, children maybe not behaving in the way they should? So again, understanding, you know, let's just take a total hypothetical sort of child who uh, at four o'clock, five o'clock this morning was watching a severe domestic violence incident mm -hmm. in the home. The windows might have been put through. And then this child comes into school next day. And, you know, understandably, they may not be in that position to learn. So it's vitally important, and we're talking about the great job, teaching assistant, learning mentors, office staff when they come in, if they come in late. We're gauging what, what kind of mood that child's in, you know. And that is very important because then you can pass that support. You're not just sticking them straight into a, a year six lesson where they're doing a sax practice test, and, you know, and sitting down for the next 45 minutes, you know, is not what's at the forefront of your mind. Um, so it's about understanding these children and preventing uh, preventing before that's really interesting that, everyone. that you talk about the whole staff there with from yeah from the office staff to teaching assistants to everyone in school because you employed pastoral staff who and it was their specific job did you have four at parklands who, who went up to, went up to five went up to five who Towards were just responsible staff. for that that side of things but yeah that you've highlighted yeah, the, the first child the person sees, if it's the caretaker, it's their responsibility to, I suppose, is, is that part of safeguarding? If in doubt, see upon it, <laughs> as, we, as we alluded to sort of earlier. But it's, a, it's value in the other staff. When I first started Parklands, I was, again, I take the positive of any negative. Mm -hmm. And when I started Parklands, um, they had a new £7 million roof just put on them. And luckily enough for me, they'd overran on the building works, which meant that school had to be delayed opening for a week. So instead of all the teachers just having an extra week in Ibiza and things, it gave me an extra five days working with these staff on the vision that I had and the high expectations. Making simple things like the classrooms look beautiful for when they first walked in and things. But significantly, on the Friday, I said, right, on the Friday, everyone meet outside school at half past nine. There's going to be a coach waiting to pick us up. Uh, and the staff were like, ooh, what's this? And when I'm talking with staff, I'm not just talking with teachers. We were talking teaching assistants, lunchtime staff, office staff, learning mentors, caretakers, everybody. And then uh, the bus picked us up and took us over to Hazelwood Castle uh, near York, where we did orienteering, uh, archery, welly wanging. <laughs> I said that correctly. Um, and just team building exercises. And the, it was beautiful. There were a cloud in the sky. It was beautiful. It was September. It was gorgeous. And then we got back on the bus after and they all said, Oh, should we go somewhere for a bit of lunch now and things? But they didn't know my adventure was only halfway through because then the bus carried on going to York where I charted out uh, a boat on the River Ouse, you know, where we sailed down the River Ouse for, uh, for two and a half hours. The bar was open if anyone wanted to use it and things. Uh, and then as we turned around on the River Ouse to come back, we pulled in... Uh, where I'd bought every single member of staff a nice two-course carvery meal. And I remember sitting down talking to the great learning mentor, Darren Portman, uh, who said, I remember now he was just shaking his head, he was going, do you know, we've never been invited on anything like this ever before. Really? So I thought, boom, that's a great start. If you've got your staff on board with you, fastened into my roller coaster ride at the start after four days, then we, we, we could be looking at something special here. 
And and really importantly, yeah, not just the teaching staff. That's your whole staff. Everyone's got to and be again, on board with this give, roller coaster. And again, we give loo days out at Parklands because I allude back to a... I know Tony wanted a bit of controversy here, but hopefully time's passed now and I won't get done for it. <laughs> but uh, my housemate, when uh, I was a, a young teacher, he was getting married. He wasn't a teacher. Uh, and we all know if you get married on a Friday in term time, it's going to be a quarter of the price. Much than if cheaper. And things so... Uh, and I had one of those head teachers where I was an usher and I had to go to the wedding and I thought if I asked my head if I can go it might be a yes but equally it might be a no and I've got to go to this wedding so I did as what lots of people would end up doing I took a sick day Mm -hmm. and to make it more realistic I made it a two day sick day clever and things so (laughs) and I thought when I start Parkinson's I don't want people having to do that I had our lovely Daisy who when she was four uh, got to play Oopsie Daisy Angel in the Oopsie Daisy Angel reception production. And I'd said to my head, oh, can I go and see her? Because obviously reception don't do seven o'clock in the evening shows. It's either nine o'clock or one o'clock. And she went, who's going to teach your class? So I had to miss her doing that beautiful production. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't worry, you folks live, listen at home, because when I started Parklands, one of the first things I did was I brought her to Parklands, mm-hmm. which again for the community was a huge thumbs up. You know, if, if he's bringing his own daughter to this school, he mm. must be trying to do what he said. Uh, and she ended up playing Sharpay in the high school musical when she was in year six. And I choreographed 12 different dance routines there. Again, <laughs> setting a challenge, coming out of my comfort blanket, spending hours and hours on YouTube watching other schools put these dance routines together. Boom, I got lovely Pauline Quirk to give me all the backdrops from Birds of a Feather for the mm-hmm. younger viewers but giving me all the backdrops and all the costumes and things. So these kids felt the most special children doing this production ever. Uh, and for Pauline Quirk, she runs the uh, the Pauline Quirk Academy and things. So so Lou Day's allowing your staff to feel supported <coughs> because we've got good behaviour systems in place. They're on board with you, literally, on the boat, on, on board with you. Um, yeah, and it means that when I've got my Canadian teachers with whose parents are coming over, they don't have to... Oh, I won't be in today, I've got a sore throat. You know, it's like, I'll use my loo days. Mm-hmm. It was quite a bit embarrassing at one point. I was, I was doing a, an interview live on the ITV National News uh, outside my year five's classroom door about school holiday fines for, for children, knowing that my year five teacher at that very moment in time was away in Venice for her mum's uh, 60th birthday and things. But the art of loo days slashes, and I can't emphasise that word enough, they slash the number of sick days that your staff have because they've built up time to be able to do things that you're limited as a teacher being able to do in, in term time and things. So here's the killer question then. Your year five teacher's in Venice. Who's teaching her class? So again, because Parklands were in a quite a lucky position with the money and the investment that we brought in, uh, we were lucky to have four non-class-based teachers uh, myself, my deputy were both obviously non-teaching, and four Hilters. So we had we've, we had eleven members of staff that could cover. Not everyone can have the same days off because obviously mm-hmm. you've got covering logistics. And one thing about consistency of learning is that you have the same teachers every single sort of days. Uh, in the last five years at Parklands, we didn't spend one penny on supply costs, and that included during the COVID times and when we came back and staff were shielding or self-isolating for two weeks. We get that consistency of having the same members of staff for the same children every single day. And as I said, the loo days 
has worked a treat. But in addition to Lou Days, if a parent's got a production, they can just fill out their pink form and go and watch their child in a production. Same with sports days, graduations and things. Because if you've got that extra mile for your staff, whoa, they'll do five miles extra back for you and things. So. Mm-hmm. And that's arguably why retention was an issue at Parklands because, you know, the, of the lovely little perks that people had. And one of the ways you mentioned supply cover there, one of the ways of funding these Lou Days. So you didn't spend a penny on the supply cover. Supply insurance, did you pay that? Uh, no, and things, because as you said, you didn't really have staff that was a long-term, long-term sick and things. So so you could use that money then to employ... Well, when I, when I took over Parklands, you know, I thought, gosh, should I become head teacher way before this? Because that first week I were having fruit platters, Champagne boxes, <laughs> choc- every single kind of chocolate in the world all being delivered. Um, and I thought, and all these were being sent by supply companies. Because one thing uh, some of your viewers may not uh, appreciate is that supply companies can look in your budget and see how much you're spending on supply a year. And the year before I started Parklands, we were spending 180 grand wow. a year. So I remember saying to my governors, right, we're taking on three new teachers non-class based and they said you can't afford that I said we can because we're going to use that 180 grand that we've been spending on supply and things mm-hmm. you know and some supply companies are absolutely great fantastic one that I won't name and shame now um, I found out was charging my school at Parklands a whopping and this is back in 2014 a whopping £245 a day and they were paying the teacher 90 and I went ballistic over that. And thank goodness I wasn't on Twitter at that time. Um, but I did send an email in absolutely ranting and raving. I had head office back on, but the off shot was they were permanently banned from my school. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the, mm-hmm. the big, massive national supply companies. I thought it was totally and utterly immoral. And that sort of was the, the driving force to, right, I might as well set up my own sort of supply within within my school setting and things. So. Mm-hmm. You had teachers on your hit list when you joined. Did you have to have uncomfortable conversations with those members of staff? How do you? You're a very positive person. What does an uncomfortable conversation look like with Chris? Dyson? Well, nobody goes into school to deliberately try and fail. And there are situations in life where a school is just the wrong place for you. I'll put my hands up. I won't name the school, but one of my schools that I worked at just wasn't a fit for me, and I, I struggled. But then when I moved to a new environment, that's when I excelled again. So I'd always say to the teachers listening, if you're not happy where you are, move on, you know, because there is a home for you, a home for you somewhere. Um, as I said with the teachers, you know, I've I'd seen too many schools trying to change too many things all in one go, you know, and then getting frustrated at staff how they couldn't do these 3,482 new tasks that they've been set to do over the next five days and things. So I wanted things going really slowly at Parklands using sort of a coaching model. So we did reading for the first full term, nothing else, just reading. Then the second term we moved on to writing and then moved on to maths. And a lot of that was trial and error coming back, what's working, what's not, let's change it. So we got it. So we got it all all right and things. I wanted to give myself two full terms before I went in formally observing lessons because back in 2014 we were still on that performance management cycle where you had to have a, an observation every term, you know. And again, you know, as a teacher and seeing some of these things, when you know you've been watched at Wednesday 
between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock, you can pull out every single trick of the trade to do this <laughs> most spectacular one-off, supersonic, fan-triple-tastic lesson, which might not actually reflect uh, everyday practice and things. So, and thank goodness we've sort of moved away from those into a more informal drop-in sessions where we're, we're working alongside teachers. So I wanted two terms before I went in and did those sort of formal observations. And then it was a case that when I did go in, right, forget what you've done in the past, let's look about what we've been doing now and let's build on this new sort of structure and things. And as I said, I'm blessed that, you know, uh, I think I've had, I've, I probably did two support plans in, in the first really? probably three, four years uh, and then none over the subsequent five years and things. So again, understanding your teachers, knowing where their strengths are and things and encouraging them to to take those skills in those lessons and to transfer them into other sub-subjects. Is, is that why when I look at the, the Parklands website, on there is, it, it appears to me, is almost absolutely everything you've ever done is on there and it's totally open, totally free for anybody just to take. Now, that that's not usual, I don't find, it in, in lots of schools. If they've done something and they've done it really well, Sometimes that's kept in-house because we do this really well and we don't really want... Maybe it's not that we don't really want to share. Occasionally, it's monetized and people say, oh, I'll, we'll, we'll let you have this scheme that we've put together, but you've got to pay for it. But that's that's not the case at all at Parklands. Have a look now if you're, if you're listening to this or watching this. Go onto the Parklands website. All the policies are there. Everything they do and is And everything's just... in word. Everything's in word. There's nothing worse than getting a, and I can't say this word, but an anapathetic shock policy, and it's on a PDF, and you're thinking, oh, no, and things. So everything's in word. Why? Why did you decide to go Because sharing, sharing is caring, you know. Um, the children under my care now, whether it was Parklands with 380 kids or the uh, Create Partnership now with nearly 4,000 children, they're children, you know, and if we've got 15.8 million children, and that'll be fact-checked later. If there's 15.8 <laughs> million children in the country, if something's brilliant out there, give them a, as a balloon. They don't have to use it, but the framework's there, it's in Word, you know, and as I said, caring is sort of sharing and making sure that everyone gets the benefit to either thumbs up, yeah, we'll use this, or thumbs down, no, we're, we're happy with what we've got and things. What makes these people give up an extra two hours of their day? to come and work with you and your team. We've heard about Lou Days. That's a fantastic um, thing to be a part of. We've heard about um, uh, uh, being supported in a, in a behaviour way and a, a kind of you allow the teachers time to teach. Um, is there anything else that your teachers got which encouraged them to, yeah, spend two hours driving to and from work to be part of your team? Well, there was a big uh, sort of Twitter debate about two, three weeks ago where uh, a school in, a trust in Sheffield had put a job advert out saying that they expected the person to be married to the job, they'd expect the people to be answering emails over the weekend and up to 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, Twitter can be a, a horrible place sometimes and this school got such a pile on from from everywhere criticising and things. And my simple sort of response to that was, I, I don't see it's my position to criticise another trust, another academy's job application, you know. And I remember, and the Guardian quoted me on this, and ITN News quoted me on this, but I took no offence by that sort of advert because I wouldn't have wanted to spend a weekend 
stressing, filling out application forms, filling out my application, sorry, doing the letter and other such thing to then go and get an interview, get the job and then find out those things later. You know, but the point I was making is that every school is different and I, for one, would have applauded knowing all that because, believe mm -hmm. me or not, there will be people that, that will have really ticked boxes and thought, that's where I want to work, that's what I want to do. Equally so, there's lots of people that wouldn't have touched it with a barge pole. Mm -hmm. You know, and as I sort of said to the Guardian and things was, I'm sure some people can have a real go at my sort of job adverts that I've put out for, for Parklands in the past where I've put, you've got to enjoy fun, you've got to enjoy smiling, uh, <laughs> really getting to uh, not have a laugh with the children, but get to know the children. And it's all about, it's literally all singing, all dancing and assembly. And I know that some people have thought, that's a school I want to work with. Yeah. But equally so, I know there would have been some more traditional schools who thought, well, that's just ridiculous job advert. You can't advertise that you, to apply for this job, you've got to enjoy fun. You've got to be able to love children and things. So, again, to that to that school sort of in Sheffield, caused me no offence. I thought honesty is the best policy. And because of the fact that some of my adverts will have been frowned upon and things, so... And sometimes schools, hearing about Parklands and it has Ludes, it has these fantastic things, are they just trappings that people get caught up in? But it, it sounds like that's not the case. It sounds like it is a cultural thing. You're, it's a happy place to work, uh, a lovely environment for people to flourish and do their best. And again, walking around the school talking to the teachers, they felt supported, but they also didn't feel over-scrutinised. They knew they were doing a good job and they appreciated that you left them to do a good job. Is, is that your, your way of, of managing people, that if they're doing a good job, then you, know, you leave them to get Trust. on with it? And if they're not doing a good job... Trust is everything. You know, again, when I started in my teaching career, you had to hand your planning in on a Friday and then you'd get that back on Sunday to make your changes. Um, and again, when you look at some planning formats, you were only doing that planning format because SLT or leaders want to see it. Apart from filling it out, I never looked at it again once mm -hmm. because I put everything like onto my smart board when smart boards come out. So it's a Monday and I have all my lessons on then Tuesday and things. And SLT probably didn't look at it either. No, <laughs> anything. So, yeah. so trust is everything. When you're looking at uh, how the children are progressing, you know, and I spend a lot of time every day just walking around, walking around. And you know when you walk in a lesson if someone's winging it. Mm -hmm. You know, you know when you walk in a lesson and all the children are engrossed. So again, it's that trusting... You know, and speaking with children, you know, when uh, when we're looking at this full and broad and balanced curriculum now, when we're looking at the, the work being done in history and geography, just having an informal chat with a child about what they've been doing in the Stone Engine year three and how it links with what book they're, they're reading. Because as many people who have had Ofsted uh, know that children don't lie. Mm -hmm. You know, when they're asked mm -hmm. a question, they'll tell you warts and all and things. So. <laughs> and as I said, the teachers appreciated that but having a fear of um having a feel of feeling of support meant that there were lots of members of staff that you could go and ask advice on for you know crotchets in music in year <laughs> six probably said that wrong um and you know it, and going to ask people what to do and things so and then teachers who are underperforming for whatever reason are they, what's your strategy with those? Because it's easy when everything's going well. Yeah, you get, the sad thing is that's why you need support plans and this is why you may end up with sort of capability issues because a child 
only has one chance of education. My mum was lucky. She went back into it later in life. But you only get one chance of education and children can't afford 12 months where the learning stops. Gee whiz, look at what's happened since post-COVID, you know, and the gaps that we've got to be filled and things. Children can't simply have a year coasting, having a year where they're not challenged, you know, where behaviour's been able to escalate. So mm -hmm. they rule the roost and things. So as leaders, you've always got to be mindful of that. As I've said, it might be for a particular teacher, it's the wrong school, it's the wrong sort of ethos, it's the wrong expectations. Mm -hmm. But there is a place somewhere for you. But you still need that effort in because these children, as I say, get one chance and they need to maximise every, every second of the learning, especially in the deprived, well, everywhere actually, but in a deprived sort of area where aspirations are low, We've got to make these children believe that there's life outside an estate. There's a huge world to explore. Do you feel like you can motivate and inspire any teacher? Because it just strikes me that you went to Parklands, the school wasn't performing very well. You've only had three or four staff move on. So there was potentially a team of people there who weren't performing to their capabilities. And you've turned them around. Do you feel like you could be airdropped into any school and make it perform? to its capabilities. Yes, I do. <laughs> and that's modest Chris coming out again. But again, I think it all comes down to me being in the trenches. And by me saying me being in the trenches, I learnt the art of leadership by doing every aspect of being a teacher and working my way, my way through and things. So understanding what it was like, not sat in a lovely air-conditioned office, you know, dictating, do this next, do this. I go back to the great uh, Sir Gavin Williamson, um, who, you know, it's such a pity to see him not doing as well as he was doing. It breaks my heart. But, you know, when we had lockdown there and he's coming out with directors, everybody must be doing remote learning now, everybody. Yeah, well, you know, I needed... 340 laptops and you've just cut my allocation from 67 to 3 what am I going to do with 3 laptops <laughs> you know it's alright you saying everyone's got we need the tools you know and the DFE you know bless I think they start, the laptops are coming out about 9 months after we'd locked down and that's why with people like LGFL you know they were slashing their prices of laptops from £180 down at £80 to schools could get them in at cost because LGFL realised, yeah, remote learning is brilliant, but the kids need devices to do them on. I mean, I'd look at my, my son and my two daughters on lockdown. They were all right because they all had a MacBook or a laptop at home. You know, we're blessed that they've all got a room to work in. But for some children, you know, when there's six people living in a two-bedroomed tower block flat, you know, with one mobile phone between them, you know, we're, and then we're, we're moaning and complaining, the gap's growing. Well, of course it is. Mm -hmm. We need people with common sense. And as I said, being in those trenches and knowing what it's like working on the sort of front line, you know, really helped me in my journey, especially, as I said, during COVID times and things. So, I've heard you say also that in that first year at Parklands, if Ofsted had come, the school may have been graded a four and you may have been moved on and they would have been... Uh, put in a, in a multi-academy trust and this journey this beautiful journey that's happened and not just changed the children and not just changed the school but changed the community at Seacroft that would have never happened what are your views on on Ofsted and the the procedures that are in place schools use 
billions, billions and billions of pounds of taxpayers' money. So schools have always got to be accountable how to use that money. And Ofsted is the, is the, is the judgment call at the moment. So the people who think we need to get rid of Ofsted, you know, have got to appreciate that something very similar will replace it because for value for money and such. Mm-hmm. Now, I am a, quite a bit strange to, to lots of people and things in the sense that I've thoroughly enjoyed every step of my Ofsted journey since 1998, I think my, my first one was. And I've taken every single Ofsted that I've had as quality CPD. And to be fair, touch wood, I've traditionally done exceptionally well with my schools in there. They're human beings, you know, and you just want to communicate with them. You need to for them to listen, not judging things, but having a great positive mindset when they walk through the door helps a lot more than being defensive, excuse-making from the start. You know, so as I said, for me, Ofsted has been a hugely rewarding and ex- an excellent sort of experience for me and my school communities. But equally, I totally understand a lot of schools' frustrations with the process, mm-hmm. uh, the lack of sort of clarity. But what people have also got to appreciate is that if Ofsted are removed, something pretty much similar will be in its place. Mm-hmm. So we're not just going to say no more inspections and things. So You were head teacher at Parklands and you made a, a bold move, some might say, of um, bringing your own daughter to the school. Was that... Why did you do that? Was that to get the community on side or what were, what were your reasons? Because you wanted to see her in the play. So, um, why did I bring out Daisy? A number of things. One, you know, travelling an hour to work every day and an hour coming back. You know, I thought I'm going to lose out on family time uh, having my first headship. Uh, I'd made the really difficult decision to stop running my son's football team at the end of the sort of previous uh year after doing 10 years and I thought you know I've spent lots of time with my son because obviously I've had him at training twice a week and football all day Sunday and Benny's mind the dad's the manager and the first game kicks off at nine o'clock and the last game kicks off at one o'clock you know my Sundays were always spent with him plus Sheffield United season ticket holders I was down with him on the Saturday so I thought to spend more quality time with my daughter and it was the best decision I ever made was to bring her to Parklands because I got to travel with her in the car for all year three, all year four, all year five, and all year six. Um, so it was it was a connection that I'd urge anybody if they get the chance to have the children in their own school to go to go down that route. And it was the the happiest time that I'd had. It was absolutely beautiful. The catalyst for me starting her there was uh, she went into school, and this is no fault of her previous school whatsoever. But she went into school because, whereas my son was all into football, golf, cricket, you know, trying to get him to have a reading book was trying to like get him having a bath and things, which was now impossible. Uh, but she just loved learning, loved learning. Was always a school counsellor all the way through a previous school and then through Parklands. Uh, but she came home one day and said, oh, I asked my teacher today to see if I could tell her my seven times table. Uh, I said, oh, yeah, and what did she say? Was she impressed? She went, she said... She didn't want to hear it because it's in the curriculum for the following year. So I thought, oh, when a child's done that extra mile and she just wants to show it. Imagine, imagine taking somebody to show and tell and them saying, no, you can't show that till next year. 
and things. So the following day, I enrolled her straight in at Parklands. But I said for the community, that was like a, a wow factor. Um, I knew I had to get the community on board when I first started uh, Parklands. And after I spoke to all the staff, spoke to all the children selling the dream, I thought next one now, as I've got to hit the parents, and this is all within the first three weeks. So I invited all the parents to come to listen to my, what became the Fun Day Friday, hashtag best seats in the house assembly, to listen to my vision and things. I went to Marks and Spencers. I didn't even go to Sainsbury's, you know. I went to Marks <laughs> and Spencers and I bought 50 donuts, some with jamming, some with custard, and I went, I went all the way and I paid for all that myself. And only three parents came in. And I thought, oh, oh. So, again, looking at the positives of what you can take from it, I took all the donuts out onto the playground at home time and said, look, I'm going to do this speech again next Friday, the Friday after, the Friday after, until I get 50 people to come in. Um, and I sent a, a letter home on the newsletter saying, you know, I felt like I was five years old and I'd invited you all to my birthday party and only a couple of you came. It broke my heart. You know, and... Just having that honesty with the community really made a difference because then the following week I had about 65 people coming in. Granted, I didn't get my donuts from Marks and Spencers that week. I went back to, uh, I went to Asda actually. You, were, <laughs> you, you buy one, you get one free and things. So, but it had that impact that I had parents that wanted to come in and listen. But I still remember when I first spoke to my teachers saying, and the children in one of my first assemblies saying, I'm going to make you the best school in the country in four years. And I remember still seeing the teachers' eyes rolling. I can still picture it now. I think, oh, we've heard all this before and things. So it was that drive and that sort of commitment. And as I said, I'm so I'm so happy that my lovely Daisy, my lovely Daisy Dyson, got to share part of that adventure with me and things so was there anything you did uh make changes within the school to bring the community on side my son's school has a boat logo on their jumper and we've got a couple of boat logos and a couple where it's just plain blue and he notices that every day when it's not the boat um but i notice you don't have the logo on the jumpers at parklands so well one of the first things is if you remove your badge from your school uniform then it means you can get totally kitted out at one of the supermarkets, whether it's an Asda, Tesco's, Morrison's, Sainsbury's, whichever one you've got closest to you. You can kit yourself out for, you know, £10, £11. Uh, it becomes a shock at high school when suddenly you're paying £65 a blazer, you know, and obviously watching your son grow up playing football, when you're young and you're growing, one blazer doesn't last all year because mm -hmm. you outgrow. Football boots don't last. You, you, you're buying two pairs a season and things. Uh, but then again... I can with funding and education being such a high profile. It's not just this year, last year, but for over the last ten, fifteen years, I do appreciate that for some schools it's an income stream getting this sort of uniform in. I do take huge exception to uniform policies, insisting it's black leather shoes or black socks. You know, going back to lovely Paul Garvey, I remember him telling me a story when he was on the inspection once. And he asked a child why why is he had to stay in all dinner time. Uh, and he, he said, and I remember him bending down, lifting up his trousers and saying, because I've got the wrong colour socks on. It sounds like some kind of jokes building up and things, but it wasn't. He said, well, why have you got the wrong colour socks on? He said, because it's Wednesday and it's my brother's day-to-day -to, -day to wear the, the black socks and things. And it's little things like that that, that uh, 
that sort of break your mind. And I'm just looking on the table now. <laughs> oh, you've actually got black shoes on today, but for the viewers at home who can't see me, I've got brown shoes on. And I don't have a foggiest clue what colour shoes you make mm-hmm. affects how you learn. What colour socks you've got, how it affects your learning and things. You know, yeah, they're going to wear blazers, fair enough, but let's get some uh, swap shops mm-hmm. in where it's accessible for all. I understand jumpers and there's nothing better than seeing the pride of children all wearing the same sort of badge on the uniform. But sadly, as soon as you put a badge on, you're adding 10, 10 15 pounds minimum mm-hmm. to, to the cost and things. So. And what does affect children's learning is whether they've had breakfast that day, whether they've you know, got a water bottle with, with water in. And you have children or have had children at Parkins and possibly at Create who don't get breakfast in the morning. Uh, what did you do about that earlier? Oh, magic breakfast. Oh, magic breakfast. It's just another magic breakfast. <laughs> I, put out that, uh, I put out that when uh, COVID times were on. Uh, just to say thank you to those guys who, you know, have links with uh, bagels from Bagel Nash, Tropicana, Orange Juice, all the cereals from Kellogg's, Scottish Porridge Oats, so real quality products that put into schools because a child can't work if they're hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm, again, I'm different to a lot of people. I don't, I'm not a breakfast eater, but lots of people are, and lots of people, breakfast is the most important meal of any day when I'm having teams meetings uh, with the trust now and several people are eating porridge live and I'm thinking a bit early for me and things but having you can't run a car if you've got no if you've got mm-hmm. no diesel mm-hmm. or petrol in it and it's same for children and the learning so again it's taking advantage of of things and charities out there I know Greg's do a great job looking after schools and things so but again it's just for leaders to take that time to find out who can help provide food and things, um, and again, knowing your community. Now, we were talking about how we get community, how we strengthen a community at Parklands and how we will do it uh, at the new trust now and things, but there was a couple of things that, that really fell into place on my Parklands adventure, and that was after five weeks, I'd taken a lot of the previously excluded children from the year before and give them £10,000. Uh, and I give them £10,000 to design their own playground because there wasn't a lot to do at playtime except play fight, wrestle and things. Or climb on the roof. Or climb on the roof, good old tick on the roof. <laughs> uh, and they wanted this outdoor sort of uh, outdoor playground making. Now, when I was looking up, I had Lewis Smith, MBE gymnast hero who came to school and he's just watching these children doing front flips and back flips with no training. It worried him slightly going... You know, I'm quali- properly qualified, tra- fully qualified trained and things. But anyway, that's a, another story. But these kids can climb. So they had theirs built and then Key Stage 1 wanted one. So the company came, dug out everything, got it all set up. Someone came that night and they pinched all the wood. So me being me, I walked down to one of the parents' houses on the corner of the drive, knocked on his door. What do you want? I said, listen, someone's come and pinched all the wood last night and I remember him looking and saying well, it's no to do with me I said I know but you've got a CCTV camera on the back of your house I wondered if I could have a look at it and things so he said leave it with me anyway my caretaker came in that next morning and said you're not going to believe it I said what she said everything is back everything and I want what it's all been returned she went not only has it been returned it's back exactly the same places where they all took it from so again getting a good community leader 
on board, who puts the calls out, gets the word spread around the estate. Where's this wood gone? I don't want the head teachers knocking on my door, you know. Hmm. And they found it and they sort of brought it back in things. So that had a real, I thought, oh, community's really on side sort of here now. And then opening my doors, you know, that if a parent had a problem, I wanted to hear about it face to face as opposed to giving them an appointment uh, a week next Thursday by the time they've moved off on it. There was an incident where it was brought to my attention on Facebook. Two parents were arranging a fight at five past three on my playground. So, again, I didn't just ring the police. I didn't just pass it on to somebody else. I rang both the parents myself saying, why are you arranging a fight on my playground at five past three? We're not arranging a fight. I said, I'm reading it on Facebook now. Oh, I don't know how else got there. And again, right, come in and see me and discuss it. So, again, being there, because when parents, and we're parents ourselves, when something... Agree, makes you aggrieved, something agitates you, you just want to get it off your chest, you know, and you don't want an appointment in 10 days' time when you've moved on or mm. you've self-policed it you, yourself and things. So, again, it was making sure that I was always there. Uh, my door was always open, and that was not only for parents but for staff and things because I wanted to solve problems as opposed to leaving them stew and then getting over the gossiping going and, and things, so... Mm. Do you speak to parents on the playground en masse or would you always invite them in? What what would your advice be? Oh, you don't ever want a mob culture. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my most fulfilling stories at uh, Parklands is I wanted these children to have everything, free residentials, free trips to Bridlington where eight coaches took all the children so they could have the simple things like eat an ice cream on a beach or splash in the water. Mm. But also I wanted to expand their capital culture where when I first linked up with Northern Ballet, uh, I had a lot of parents saying, my son's not doing ballet, you know, and I won't tell you the the words that they used. Um, But it was about saying, given all these opportunities, and one thing you can't really do is pick and choose which ones you just want to do. And then we fast forward to 10 years now, and Northern Ballet, uh, on the last Saturday before Christmas, will come in and send 18 members of their crew to to spend practically 15 hours building the exact replica stage that's down in the Grand Theatre in Leeds with the same lighting, the same music systems. Then they send in an orchestra, a real-life orchestra to play while the children watch a a ballet, which, again, not a lot of adults have been to see the ballet and Mm -hmm. things. But um, So that became embedded by consistency with all the parents and things. But I remember it was my sort of first year at Parklands, uh, and hands-on learning experience is something that was really important to me. And uh, I arranged for our Year 5 children to visit the local mosque, which then became Mosque Gate. Uh, because all over Facebook that night, I was being called every name under the sun. He's a pea lover. He's a really awful kind of words. We're all going to stand outside the school eating bacon sandwiches when they drive off and things. And it sort of broke my heart, but I thought, I'm not just going to cancel this trip now we're going to Bridlington week after next if you know what I mean it, it was so important to me that you know that this wasn't the children saying this was the parents and the grandparents and I thought we've got to really break down these barriers because when you go and work in a in an office when you go and work in education when you work, go and work in a factory you know whatever job you do you're working with different people of different ethnicities and it's not just an all-white world out there toleration you know communication something so important to me so i thought i ain't gonna lose on this 
but I was also appreciative that parents did have the right to withdraw them from an RE trip. So I thought, I've got to, I'm not going to lose on this, so I've got to do something special. So I invited all the parents to come and discuss why their child wasn't going, but I did make it clear I'm not coming out and speaking to 80 of you uh, in one go. I'll keep school open till half past seven on a Friday. You can all come in one, one by one. We'll discuss uh, your issues and things, and then we'll sort of take it from there. And to be fair to the parents, hats off to them. They came in, they listened, they understood where I was coming from, about how important cultural sort of capital is and mm-hmm. respect for the world and empathy. Um, so on the Friday night, the last one went home and I sent a new letter out on the Monday saying, right, thanks for all coming to see me last week. I've taken on board all your concerns and I hope you've I've appeased some of your concerns and things. So I've updated the trip. Uh, the school, the year fives will leave school at half past nine. Uh, where we'll be going to the mosque until half past 11. But then we'll be going to McDonald's for lunch and then we'll be going bowling before arriving back at school at quarter past three. I do reiterate, you do have the right to withdraw your child from this trip if you do not feel it's suitable. And then we're here, hey presto, 43 of the 45 letters came back saying, of course they can go on the trip, of course they can. And to be fair to the two who didn't go on it, both were atheists and had no religion whatsoever. So again, it was listening. It wasn't me just dictating and shouting and shrieking. Well, if they don't go to the mosque, they're not going to Bridlington and things. Mm-hmm. It was about breaking down those barriers and things. And as I said, huge success. And year on year, bar the COVID years, you know, that is one of the most successful trips that we're going and things. So so listening to parents, absolutely key. And, and keeping the school open till later on that day, I imagine, brought you so much respect from the from the community. Um, it, I think it's quite quite well documented and you've really openly uh, spoken about your relationships with businesses and you know, we've mentioned lots today, um, places that have done really lovely things for, for you at school, especially around Christmas time when y- you can tell us examples, but it, I, I came near Christmas to Parklands and there's a little back room behind your office and it was just full of presents for the children. Now, one of the ways that you do this is is speak to local businesses and we really look with our location quite close to Leeds and not just sending a blanket email, but it's the businesses, community officers. Is that who people want to get in touch with? Yes. So my question really is, is that can other schools replicate that model? Should they get in touch with the with local businesses, do you think? Well, every single national and multinational com- company and conglomerate that's in, in the country, and as I said, we are blessed in Leeds that major businesses have got headquarters in Leeds, Birmingham, where I am now with the Create Trust, lots of business headquarters there. More, more of a struggle over Skegness Way and Lincoln Way, but there are still huge businesses there on your doorsteps. So the first thing I always do is Google which companies I've got near me in a 10-mile radius and then contact that business to find out who their community champion is because every single multinational and national company has got a community champion where they, inter- they allow all their workers two days uh, a year to go and volunteer on projects. So if you're on multi-million pound investments at TD Direct, you know, suddenly you can forget all that pressure of making a trillion dollars that, that year and you go into a community and you can make a difference doing something. And again, it's valuing those businesses that come in. And by valuing, it's not just sticking them in a room like we're in now, this lovely little pod, you know, and ignoring them all day. It's about getting them to play times tables. If it's in the wintertime, having a snowball fight with them. 
a water fight in the summer. So when these businesses are going home, they think, that was such a brilliant day. Because when you've got them and they want to come back, you've got them for, for life. And if you actually Google in your computer B-I-T-C, make sure you get that right, uh, business in the community, you'll see that there's liaison officers all around the com- all around the country, even in the most remote areas, which will link free of charge your schools with these businesses. Uh, and as I said, Christmas time is a wonderful time to tap into into these guys, uh, especially when they see you going over and above what is expected. And again, for my community, it broke my heart that my very first Christmas at Parklands, when I would walk around the rooms, who's seen Santa today? Who's seen Santa this weekend? Who's seen? And I found about five families. Uh, and I thought it's every child right to see Santa at Christmas time. It's every child right to have a little present. So I just wanted, and I called my senior staff, I said, I just want to give a bit of a Christmas dinner, a selection box, just to show these kids that, you know, when we're loading it up later this afternoon, eating and drinking and being merry, you know, that we've done something for our lovely community. My SLT said, nobody will work Christmas Day. And, you know, listening is everything. They were right, nobody would work Christmas Day. So I thought, well, we'll do Christmas Eve then, or Christmas Eve Eve, depending on when sort of Christmas falls. Uh, I got my staff volunteering easy enough because I had uh, three NQTs at that time who were all part of their NQT standards, had to do something for the community. And I said, oh, there you go. I've got you the perfect opportunity here now. We're opening school up. You know, and then you've got businesses then. It was business in the community that got wind of it and said, you don't just want to give them a selection box. We'll get you some proper presents. And they didn't let us down. Uh, companies were sponsoring reindeers and when you've got year six lads walking up your playground going huh, look at them donkeys with sticks on their head and it's like the reindeers and they didn't know they were fictitional and things uh well, sorry they thought they were fictitional and you've got unicorns prancing around in the hall everyone sees santa the only lie that i told is because after the first 20 minutes the kitchen staff said nobody's having the turkey kids said they don't like turkey I said, tell him it's chicken. <laughs> you know, and then suddenly that got wolfed down. You know, and we, we fast forward. I was fortunate enough that the uh, Liz Lightfoot at the Guardian did a full feature on it. And then and one of the only times on Sky News history, when I was on Sky News at quarter to three with Sarah Jane, somebody or other, uh, and they delayed the news by four minutes because, funny enough, I couldn't stop talking. <laughs> uh, when we came back in the school the following Monday, 25 grand had been donated you know, to give the, the biggest and the best Christmas for for people who aren't as fortunate. As I said, my own children now and things. Mm-hmm. And it was just a simple present, get the community to get together. And now we've got even partners like Northern Ballet that want to come along and showcase their things and things. So so there, we've talked about the businesses and their involvement, and there is an element of that. But also I want to highlight there's work on your half, behalf there as well. Like you said, giving up days in the holidays to come in unpaid no, there's no extra for the staff there they come in because they want to do these things for the community well actually i've got funding now we okay. actually got we got some funding from some private entrepreneurship shall we say which is ticks every box so every holiday now parklands is open for three days a week uh which means that our teaching assistants can work during their holidays and when you think the six weeks holiday you know 
I'm lucky enough I get to go away for two or three weeks, yourself included and things, mm. whereas teaching assistants is an absolutely shockingly appalling salary. Mm-hmm. You know, my priority amongst anything else is to get TA salary up to as rewarding as the job is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. But at least it means that they can do three days in the six weeks holiday at double pay. So they're getting over a week's salary, you know, for, for working from half past nine through till two o'clock. And again, providing food, that's the, the big sort of tick for those and things. So, And I imagine lots of your TAs come from the Seacroft area. They're not yeah. coming from, they're not driving from an so hour again, away. So again, there's nothing worse than, because obviously even worse for TA salaries is that they're pro-rated. So, mm-hmm. uh, so you are paid over the summer holiday, but you're not on your full sort of salary mm-hmm. throughout the year and things. So... It's a lovely thank you to those guys. And again, you could go down the line of getting external providers in, but the key for Parkland's success is the consistency of the staff. It's the mm-hmm. same people that are there each and every day and things who know and understand the children. So, yeah. Just on outstanding schools, I was surprised when I came to Parkland's because you hear sometimes outstanding schools have this um, aura around them and they're polished and beautiful and all the decoration is perfect and the children walk around and nobody speaks. And Parklands is almost the opposite of that, that in your office as the head teacher, there's paint peeling off the walls. And it it, it leaves it left me with the impression that Chris spends his money on the children and, and on the staff because he knows if he invests in the staff, they will invest in the children um, and not on on getting the the, uh, the walls painted. What do you think the biggest myths are around outstanding schools, having been there? Well, I didn't want school? to start Parklands, then the first thing I did spend a nice 15 grand on a brand new state of the office, you know, a brand new state of the art <laughs> office, brand new desk and luxury, lovely furniture and things. So and you're right, I wanted every penny to, to go onto the children as opposed to making my room look a bit prettier and things. Because mm. when people visit Parklands, they haven't come to look at my new special Apple TV on my wall. I didn't have an Apple TV on my wall, by the way. Uh, they want to hear what I've got to say. And one thing about Parklands that I'd want to see in every school is confidence of the children, where you ask a child a question and they're enthusiastic. They're not just answering you. They're enthusiastically answering you and giving examples and being quite happy and, and sort of giddy and things. And that's not just people who show you around. That's it's sat in a dining hall, walking into assembly, you know, just walking from A to B. Mm. Everyone has a smile on their face because if you've got children who are happy wanting to be in school, your attendance goes through through the roof. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you from me. It's been an absolute privilege to, to spend this time with you and, and get to hear your views on things. And hopefully there's so many people who will take so much uh, from the podcast and implement bits in their school and, and spread the love yeah, and, and improve children's lives. That's what we're trying to do, isn't it? Well, it's been absolutely beautiful, Liam. Absolutely <laughs> loved every second, even though I've not stopped talking for about two hours. <laughs> Thank you very much. Do you have a school filled with love? What is your approach? Let us know by emailing podcast at whiterosemaths.com or on any of our social media channels. We read and reply to each one and would love to draw upon your thoughts in future episodes.